Good morning, church. My name is Jad Simon. I'm a member of the Young Adults Ministry here at Lighthouse. And today's verse will be Psalm 34, 1 through 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes me its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried it, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Thank you, Chad. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your heart. Lord, we have a, a promise in your word that says if we draw near to you, you'll, you'll draw near to us. And it's such an uh, incredible, incredible truth that at any time of any day, we can come even boldly to the throne of grace and we're going to find help in our time of trouble. Not rebuke, not scorn, but help. Grace for the moment. So Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray for this house, Lord, that it would be, Lord, a place of grace, but one where we hunger and thirst after our God. And Lord, where we seek you for all things. Speak to us this morning about that, Lord, and about your heart for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Psalm 34 there, David lays out some of the benefits of seeking the Lord. And so the first thing he says is that when you seek the Lord, he responds. That's uh, verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. <laughs> So you get response from God. And then he, he delivers us from the tyranny of fear and anxiety and stress when we seek him. That's verse 4, the second part. He delivered me from all my fears. Our countenance will be impacted when we seek the Lord, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. When you seek the Lord, it, it chases away the insecurities and the, the condemnation that we tend to live with, the, the skeletons in the closet, that, that, that kind of stuff that's already been paid for by Jesus, but still we feel like, man, if I'm found out, in reality, you've been found out by the Lord, and you're still loved by Him completely. He knows. So when you seek him, your face will become radiant and you won't be ashamed. You're, you're now hiding in the cleft of the rock. And when we seek him, we get a proper view of ourselves. 
So I love David saying this in verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Well, question. Was David a poor man? No. He was anything but poor. He was wealthy. He was famous. He was popular. He had, he had it all in worldly terms, didn't he? So, so here's the, the challenge if you've got it all. There might be a few, few of us in here who have it all. You've got a bunch of money. You're, pop, you know, you're just riding high in the world. The challenge is you don't consider yourself a poor man. So you think you got it all together and needs are taken care of. And through seeking the Lord, David realized the reality of who he actually was. A poor man. It's what Jesus really was saying in John 15 when he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, that's a statement of how poor we are apart from God. We can do nothing. Seeking the Lord also will bring us into experiencing God. Okay, we do, as Christians, we do. God gives us feelings and emotions in the Christian life. He really does. And so here David says in verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste. Well, that's experiential, isn't it? Tasting the Lord. First we taste, then we see. Seeking is the tasting part. It's the getting with God. It's the, it's the loving him, worshiping, putting our requests before him and all of that. And we're tasting the Lord at that point. And then when we seek him like that, we will experience him. And he begins to open up our eyes and our understandings. And finally, those who seek the Lord, they will receive everything. And I mean everything that they need. That's verse 10. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, we're going to learn in Colossians, in chapter 2, that in Christ, you are utterly complete. You have everything that you need. Well, we went on our yearly prayer getaway last week, and so for pretty much the entire history of our church, we've set aside three or four days uh, for the pastors and our wives to get away and to seek the Lord's heart and will for our church, for Lighthouse Church. And so through these prayer getaways over the years, the Lord has done significant things. I mean, really significant things. And he has shaped our church significantly. And so when we go on these little getaways, we, we don't come with an agenda uh, to get God on board with our plans. That, that's not really what it's about at all. In fact, we go away to get with the Lord to get His agenda for us and for our church, to discover His will, to, to get ourselves to align with God. We see this modeled by Jesus 
a lot in his earthly ministry. Quite a few times you'll read of Jesus going away to get with the Father, getting alone. For instance, Mark 1, verse 32, it says they, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. So this is the ministry of Jesus at this point. Like it's growing, it's thriving, it's busy, lots of people with lots of needs coming to Jesus, right? And so verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick and with various diseases and he cast out many demons. So this was a busy day for Jesus. This was a busy day of ministry, healing the sick, casting out demons, meeting people's needs in ministry. Well, here's what it says in the next verse. And rising very early the next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went to a desolate place and there he prayed. So the ministry was demanding people needing him all day long. And so the next day he gets up before anyone else is up and he slips away to get alone in order to pray, in order to get the Father's heart for his ministry and for the people, to recharge in order to be able to go back and minister well. And he did this on numerous occasions. And to minister effectively, we have to align ourselves with God's heart for people, for our ministries, for our communities. It's essential. And that's what the yearly prayer getaway is all about. So... Uh, I'm going to share with you three things that we all feel like God spoke to us at this year's prayer getaway. I fully intend it. If you got my email yesterday, you know, I was planning on, you know, kind of going through Colossians 1, 13 and 14 this morning. It's awesome about the kingdom. We've been transferred from darkness, to kingdom of dark, the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And, um, but I just felt like this is, this is really kind of a personal word for Lighthouse Church. And uh, so if you call Lighthouse Church home, listen. If not, take a nap. We'll get back to you in about 35 minutes. Okay, so three things that the Lord uh, spoke to us about. Number one is the need to let go. The need to let go. So currently, the pastors of Lighthouse Church um, are also the board of Lighthouse Christian School. So there's another board called the Board of Trustees uh, that is over the financial part of Lighthouse Christian School, and they provide accountability in the area of finances, but that's that's really their sole uh, area of authority is over uh, the accountability of the finances. So they don't deal, that board, the Board of Trustees doesn't deal with school policy or conflict resolution, uh, controversy, providing daily accountability to staff and administration, all that kind of stuff. That board doesn't do that. The school board, meaning the three pastors of Lighthouse Church do that. And so, In Numbers 11, I was thinking about this story. Some of you are familiar with it. But in Numbers 11, you have Moses leading God's people. And God had been miraculously providing food called manna. Remember this story? Manna, literally, manna, it's a Hebrew word. It means, what is it? 
So, so somebody goes outside the first day of the manna coming down and goes, what is it? And, uh, and so everybody started calling it, what is it? The and it stuck. Not a very imaginative bunch. So either that or they didn't have a marketing department yet. So now the people, however, are complaining because manna wasn't meat. And they miss meat. They wanted meat. They were upset. They were distraught that they couldn't get. Now, I can sort of understand that. (laughs) Go without meat. I can start to get a little hangry for meat. But it made God mad, and it made Moses mad. So, Numbers 11.10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. So God's anger is kindled, and Moses is feeling like he's failed as a leader. It's like, man, here here we are. I'm the guy that God has chosen to lead you, and and you're all unhappy, every one of you. You're You're not like flourishing in life. You're just complaining now about what you don't have. And every pastor, I guarantee you, every pastor, every church leader has felt this. That I'm failing, or people aren't thriving and, f- and flourishing, or there's failure, or there's sin in the church, or whatever. And so I feel like I'm failing. Listen to what Moses says to the Lord. Verse 13, where am I to get meat to give all this people? They weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. So they're not, they're not happy with their leader, not at all. And Moses feels it personally. It makes him face his own limitations. I'm failing as a leader. So verse 14, he says, I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. I can't, I can't do it. It's too much. And so he's realizing that, that it's just too much responsibility for one man. At least it's too much for him. He's not, not doing it well. And then, then he gets, I think, a little, little overly melodramatic with God in verse 15. He says, if, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. So if this is the way it's going to go, go ahead and take me out right now. Do me a favor and kill me. I want out. I want out of the ministry. I read, uh, Barna did a survey about six, seven months ago, surveying Christian pastors. Um and discovered that 43% of the pastors that they surveyed, 43 had considered quitting the ministry in the last year, 43%. Now the top reasons uh, that they gave, 50 per, 50% of these pastors said that it was because of the immense stress of the job that they felt like quitting. 
43% said that it's a feeling of loneliness and isolation that caused them to want to quit the ministry. 38% said it was the current political climate and political divisions within the church. 29%, it's the negative impact upon their family that caused them to want to quit. 22% said they're not satisfied with the job. They're just, it doesn't bring satisfaction. 21%, they're not respected by the congregation. 19%, don't feel equipped to cope with the demands. 12%, don't have what they need to be successful. 12%, don't feel supported by their staff. Number six, haven't experienced or have experienced a crisis of faith. Number six, ministry isn't what I thought it would be. And the, the list is longer, but you get the idea. Well, I'll tell you, Moses felt most of that stuff. If he was filling out the survey, he would have said, yep, that's me right here. Most pastors do feel that from time to time. So what did God do? Verse 16, or, uh, Numbers eleven sixteen, And the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and I will talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that's on you and I will put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Moses, you're going to share the crushing weight of leadership with 70 other guys who I'm going to give my spirit to as well. They will have my spirit upon them, and together you will share the burden of leading this congregation in the wilderness. Listen, Ron and Jeff and I have come to realize our limitations in providing leadership and accountability, the, the, the kind that's necessary for a Christian school that's now grown to almost 500 students, 60 staff. And we believe the Lord would have us share the responsibility of leadership with spirit-filled, godly group of men and women who love the Lord and who love Lighthouse Christian School. And so a new school board is going to be formed in the very near future, and the pastors will remain responsible for the biblical integrity of our school, for the spiritual direction of our school. We will make sure that the school aligns uh, with our church in making committed disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen, things were a lot simpler years ago uh, when we started the school in 1995 and we had eight kids. Uh, it was a lot easier back then, let me tell you. And some of those kids were my kids. But we are fully convinced that God has raised up and blessed our school to be a light in the darkness. And in the midst of a, of a, of a cultural insanity that we are currently immersed in and, and that is so pervasive in the public school system, 
Lighthouse Christian School is a place where families can bring their kids knowing that they're going to be loved, they're going to be given an excellent education, they're going to be taught the Bible, they're going to be taught that the Bible is God's word. They're going to be taught that there's two genders, male and female. They're going to be taught that God's design for marriage is between a man and a woman, and it's for life. They're going to be taught that their life has a meaning and a purpose to it, that God has given them gifts, and there's a calling upon them. They're going to be taught that God loves sinners, and when they graduate Lighthouse Christian School and go into the world, they're going to go with humility and grace to go along with the strength of their faith and their convictions. So the Lord has shown us the need to let go and trust him to raise up solid leaders to share the load. That's the first thing. Second thing that the Lord spoke to us about and has been speaking to us about was the need to make peace, the need to make peace. Now this, I don't know how this hits you, you know, right off the bat, the need to make peace. We go, yeah, well, that's a good thing, make, make peace. Jesus alluded, I don't, we do, I'm convinced, we do not think deeply enough about this. Jesus alluded to the fact that peacemaking uniquely demonstrates, it uniquely shows to people that we are a child of God. It's, it's kind of unique in that way. So in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers... You know, oh, how happy, oh, how blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Like there's something so remarkable about the person who is out to make peace with those they are at odds with. It's powerful. Now, peacemaking isn't fun. Not really at all. It, it, you know, if fun is, and comfort is your top priority in life, you'll probably avoid peacemaking. You know, hey, what do you do for fun? Well, I meet with people who are ticked off at me and invite them to just speak honestly into my life so that we can get it fixed. Well, that sounds like fun. You might as well stay home and whack your fingers with a hammer. <laughs> peacemaking, obviously is the process of addressing relationships that have become fractured, maybe even contentious. And the peace that, that perhaps once was there is gone. And so it takes a certain level of maturity and wisdom to be a peacemaker. It's not easy. It really isn't. You have to be discerning between flesh and spirit. You have to be able to, to point out in yourself, that's pride in me. That, that's not holy. This thing that I'm feeling, that's not holy. I need to confess that. I need to get free from that. There's a, there's a passage that I go to again and again and again, especially in dealing with conflict resolution, whether it's, whether it's me making, you know, trying to resolve a conflict between me and somebody or me mediating between two, 
two parties that are in conflict. But it's James chapter 3. Listen to this question, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who, who is that amongst this congregation? Who is the person who's wise and understanding? Well, if you're that person, then by your good conduct, show your works in the meekness of wisdom. Love that phrase, meekness of wisdom. Meekness is power that's under control. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false. You know, if you just think you're right about the issue and you're, you're just puffed up proud, like I am so right about that, they are so wrong, and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm so, you're boasting about the truth, what you perceive to be the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But it's earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. Ouch. Ouch. Listen, when, when we think we're right, that is one of the most dangerous places that we will be in life, when we think we're right about this or that or the other. Because God, I, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret here. God is, is not so much interested in who's right or wrong. He's interested in seeing people reconciled. He's seeing, interested in seeing peace being made. And so it's going to have to take some people who are mature enough to get off of that, that proud pedestal of I'm right and to get down and say, you know what, how have I failed you? Where was it? Let me just speak to me and I'm going to listen. I really want to hear. James goes on and says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There'll be disorder in every vile practice. So, you know, if, if it's going to be like that, then you're just going to go ahead and, and you, you're going to stay discordant with people and talking smack about them. And that the, it's just vile. It's not godly. It's not mature. It doesn't honor the Lord at all. But here's the corner being turned. Verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, it's reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, it's impartial, it's sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Blessed are those who put aside selfish ambition and pride, and I'm right, and they're so wrong. It's us versus them, and says, no, it's us for them. It's me for them. It's me for peace. It's me willing to humble myself and, and come to them in a, in a spirit of humility, in gentleness, in meekness, and work through this, because we, our relationship is more important than me being right about something. What, what's the most important thing in life? If I, could, if I could boil it down to one word, what is the most important thing in life? Relationships. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is connected to it. It's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something that if you think about it, it'll blow your mind. He said that upon these two commandments, all the demands of the prophets and the law are based. The entirety of the word of God is fulfilled in following these two simple commands, our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with each other. That's it. That's it. So now, peacemaking, if this is your perspective, then peacemaking is not some optional thing that we do. It becomes the thing that we do. It moves up in priority to being essential. Blessed are the people who understand that and who make peace where there's conflict and discord. Now, we might be the person who offended someone or we might be the person who's been offended by someone. And either way, the wise person will seek to make peace, whether you've been offended or you've been the, done the offending. And we've all been in both situations, every one of us. Not one of you so holy that you haven't offended somebody in your life. So you may have someone in your life that, that has something against you. So Jesus says, again, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, like I know that person's ticked off at me. I know there's been distance in our relationship. I just know it. Jesus says, leave your gift there at the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Maybe it's the other flip side of the coin. You have someone in your life who's sinned against you. And they've hurt you in some way. Well, Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So notice, if you're the one who's been sinned against, now you go... And in Matthew 5, 
if, if uh, you're the one who sinned against someone else, you go, oh, wait a minute, that's me going on both cases. Right, exactly. Do you want to look like a child of God? Do you want to reflect the heart of your father? Then that's what you do. Am I the one who sinned against? I'm going to go. I'm going to show this person how they sinned against me. Not to rub their face in it or make them feel bad, but to gain them. It's a peacekeeping mission. A peacemaking mission. Now, if they're, if they're the one who sinned against me, I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to leave my gift on the altar. And man, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and make peace with that person who offended me. Or rather, the other way around, that I offended. They're obviously ticked off at me, so I'm going to leave my gift. I'm going to go over there and I'm gonna say, man, what did I do exactly? And I, I value our relationship, and I, I want to own it. I think I, maybe I have a clue of why you're so mad at me. I'm not positive, but I'm just telling you, I want to listen. I want to hear. For the past few weeks, we've been meeting with people with whom we have not had peace. <laughs> and uh, a lot of it regarding school and some major changes that have come uh, uh, recently and administration uh, changeover and difficult stuff. But the pastors and I, we felt like, man, it's like so crucial in this moment. Because I, I think people, staff in our school, they, they see us a certain way. And I think we've been, in some regards, sort of painted in a certain way. It's, it's the old us versus them thing, you know, that tends to happen in any organization. But, but we, we've got to invite our staff in. If anybody wants to talk and, and just hear them and just listen. And what's their experience, you know? And dozens of meetings over the last few weeks, just with a heart to listen and to, if possible, make peace. Like, we love you, we really do. And we're so sorry that things have gone this way for you or that we didn't take action sooner or that we weren't engaged enough to see or, or, or. And just putting ourselves in that posture of, of we're not here to like boss people around. We're, we're here as peacemakers. What you do is so valuable. People who have left our church hurt by this or that or the other. We desire for God's people at Lighthouse Church to have peacemaking move up the list of your priorities. Who, who are you at odds with right now in your life? Who, who's, who's ticked off at you because they feel you've offended them? Who's offended you so that you've pulled away 
well. Lastly, and we got to be done, the Lord spoke to us about the need for spiritual discipline. <laughs> so, spiritual discipline, I can't sort of go deep into, into this, but let me just sketch it a little bit. Spiritual discipline, it's, it's received a bad rap, I think, in the last, oh, decade or two for sure. Um, it gets confused with, like, legalism and, or trying to earn points with God by, you know, sticking to a formula and that kind of thing. But that's not what the Bible puts forth to us concerning uh, spiritual discipline. Uh, to excel in anything in life, discipline is required. It's true for athletes, it's true for musicians, it's true for plumbers and accountants, but it's especially true for disciples of Jesus. And so discipline isn't drudgery. It's delightful, or at least it's the path to delight and joy. So developing spiritual disciplines, it takes a certain amount of commitment, but, but do it enough and it becomes habit and that habit then serves you growing deep in God and, 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 and growing in your sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. Joy thrives in the midst of the spiritual disciplines. Now the spiritual disciplines, that's, they're not virtue, they're, they're actual physical activity. Okay, you, you are doing a spiritual discipline this morning. You physically got up and brushed your teeth and combed your hair and probably grumped out a little bit as you're trying to get out the door on time or whatever. But you did all that and you got here so that you could practice the spiritual discipline of showing up to worship with the saints of God on the Lord's day in the Lord's house. And spiritual discipline says, I'm going to do that week in and week out. I'm not going to let, you know, my hangnail keep me away from church. <laughs> no. I'm not going to be a shallow Christian like that. I'm going to see what's valuable. And these certain things, and I won't get into that with you this morning, but these certain disciplines, gathering with the saints for worship, Getting into the word of God on a daily basis, praying, simple things, they will serve us. Just watch a great musician. I love watching, I watch YouTube, you know, the great guitar players or whatever. And you watch a great musician performing and they are not, they are not encumbered with remembering parts or trying to execute, oh no, here it comes, you know. They're just, they're, they're just, it's coming out of them. It's a part of them. And it's, it's just joyful and beautiful and moving. Listen, spiritual discipline is like that. You're practicing. First, here's... Scripture for all this. First Timothy 4, 7. Exercise yourself unto godliness. 
Paul is not telling Timothy, if you have enough devotions and do enough, that that's going to earn you, you know, godliness. Not saying that. Verse 8, he says, bodily training is of some value. You know, go, keep going to the gym. You know, not a bad thing. Godliness, however, is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, so you all have gym memberships and go to the gym. Keep doing that. It's fine. There's a little bit of value to that. I mean, your body's dying and, you know, but whatever. And godliness, however, exercising yourself, disciplining yourself to put you in a place with God where he can work in you deeply. That's really what the spiritual disciplines are. You're putting yourself in a place. It's like, it's like you build a house, you lay the foundation, Jesus is the foundation, but until, I remember building our house some years ago, it was so exciting, you know, the foundation gets laid, and then the framing goes up. That's pretty exciting, because now, whoa, now I can really kind of visualize it. And once the framing goes up, now you can begin to hang stuff. You can begin to get the sheetrock on and everything, but you gotta have the foundation and then on the foundation you got to have the framing listen spiritual discipline is the framing okay you're a christian awesome you've got the foundation jesus is your lord he's your savior but you never show up for church you never show up for your devotion you're not you're not exercising yourself and so the sheetrock isn't going to get put on because the framing isn't up Spiritual disciplines, they, they can look a, a whole lot of different ways. And I'm not here to say, you know, it's got to be like this. And you got to have X amount of time, whatever. I believe God leads us in that into very beautiful personal times. You know, a lot of people like to follow the morning and evening pattern that you find in the Bible. Morning prayers, evening prayers, you know, and devotion. Spurgeon has his famous devotional in the Psalms, morning and evening. But there needs to be spiritual discipline in your life. If you don't want to leave a bunch of growth and sanctification on the table, I'll tell you that. If you want to go on in immaturity and... Well... You don't earn points with God by showing up for church each Sunday or devotions in the morning or small group during the week. You don't get points. You got all the points already. When you, when you came to Jesus, he gave you all the points. Boom, you got them all. You can't earn anymore. So, though we're not earning points with God, we are exercising ourselves towards godliness. We're putting ourselves in a place where the Lord can work. Psalm 92, 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Isn't that awesome? Planted in the house of the Lord not being uprooted, not being haphazard, showing up here and there. No, planted. And even when you get old, here's the benefit for guys like me, 
and perhaps you who are getting a little bit up there in years. When we get old, I looked right at Ron Heath when we read this at the prayer getaway this last week. <laughs> Psalm 92, verse 14, they still bear fruit in old age. And I said, Ron, this is for you. Second part of the verse. You are ever full of sap. You are so full of sap, Ronnie. <laughs> sap is a good thing, by the way, <laughs> biblically. It's life, it's, ah, it's usefulness. So, those are the three things God spoke to us primarily at our prayer getaway. And, um, and so, uh, I went away feeling super encouraged and uh, reinvigorated and excited for what 2023 has in store for us. But you're going to be hearing probably more and more about how you can develop um, a devotional life with God. And, and, you know, how you can exercise yourself towards godliness. And there'll be things that we put before you, and, and maybe it's apps and, and uh, books or whatever, where you can develop a kind of a rhythm in your life, which is going to help you. It's going to help you uh, fight off the tyranny of fear and anxiety. Slow down, have your time with the Lord, and you're going to find he's going to chase the fear stuff away like we read. You're going to taste, and then you're going to see. He's going to open up your heart and your mind. Let's pray. So, Lord, we're grateful that those who seek you benefit in so many ways, so many ways. And so, Lord, thank you for speaking, Lord, to the pastors and our wives this past week. And, Lord, for helping us realize our limitations um, and even though at times it's meant feeling like, man, I'm just not doing a good job, <laughs> just kind of failing at this. So Lord, I pray that even all across this room this morning that maybe your people are in, in a place of leadership that are make, kind of feeling that in some way or another, that man, I'm just feeling a little bit of the weight of this ministry that I'm in or this business or family, whatever. Lord, help us to embrace um, our limitations and rather than just getting crushed and feeling like failures, that we would, Lord, look to you to provide. And we are not the answer to everything. And even if you do have us in places of leadership, we, we are just poor men and women who apart from you can do nothing. So 
we gladly this morning take that place, Lord. It's poor in spirit. And, um, and pray that, Lord, in addition, that as we come to the table, that, that <laughs> I mean, my goodness, the table, the table, Lord, picturing for us again the place where peace was made between God and man. The very core of why peacemaking needs to be at the center of our lives, at the top of the list of what we do. So God, we're inviting you this morning to bring to mind those that we are in conflict with. Lord, that there might be an opportunity for us to make peace, even as you have gone to great lengths to make peace with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.